Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke, and especially the, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, it's often hailed by skeptics. Humanists enjoy the book of Luke because it presents the humanity of Jesus Christ. Remember that, that uh, the book of Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. Uh, Mark presents him as the suffering servant. Luke presents him as the perfect man. And John presents Jesus as the son of God. So when people want to remember Christ as just a religious leader or as a good man, they'll often go to Luke. But the simple fact is that Luke demonstrates that Jesus Christ is God maybe better than any of the other Gospels. It's a phenomenal book. Next Sunday, Lord willing, I'm going to take this same passage and we're going to look at it doctrinally. But I thought that doctrinally might be difficult with the little ones in here today. And so what I want to do, I want us to read through this story and let's look at the, the reality of Jesus Christ's coming. We, Laura and I had a chance to go down to the Creation Museum. It's probably 10 years ago. Ken Ham had written a new book called Already Gone. And it's about how often we lose our young people by the time they're in sixth grade, that they have stopped believing. And, of course, if you guys do that, we have capital punishment ready for that kind of thing. But one of the uh, reasons that he said that we lose children so young is because we do what I just did. Let's, let's read this story. Let's read this story. And it is a story. Story is an accurate uh, term to describe what happened here. But it's not the same as Peter Pan. It's, you know, it, it's not the same as Mark Twain. This, this is a true story. The, and the names have not been changed to protect the innocent. This, this is a true story. And so let's read it. And let's just remember why we're gathered here today. So Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in those days, how many of you noticed something already? Those days, maybe next week, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, 
The shepherd said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad this saying which was told concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Lord, thank you for this amazing account of the way you came. Lord, help us to remember you well today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me say this. If your baby starts crying or fussing, that's just fine. That's what today is about. It's about all of us being together with the children. If your teenager starts doing that, thump them on the head, okay? Other than that, we're going we're gonna to do good. Now look at what it says in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. The Bible was attacked for centuries because Jesus Christ was born around 4 B.C., but according to the official records that they had, Cyrenius didn't become governor. His name is Quirinius in Latin. He didn't become governor of Syria until 10 A.D. And so, of course, the Bible couldn't be true. But guess what happened? They found the records that that Quirinius was actually governor of Syria twice. The first time was from 4 to, I think, 6 B.C., So the Bible was right when the historians were wrong. The Bible is just true. One commentator asked the question. He said, there's there's a a riddle. Um, What was the largest island in the world before Australia was discovered? He said, well, it was Australia. It was still the largest island, whether people knew it or not. Right? And Cyrenius had been governor before the historians were able to, to demonstrate that. And if they had simply believed the Bible, there it is right there. The other thing that's interesting about this was that this, this taxation that took place, it, was, it allowed a prophecy to be fulfilled, and that prophecy was that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And so now look at our text. It says, verse 3, And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now, we have some ladies that are expecting here in the, in the room and some that have just recently given birth. How would you like to ride 100 miles on a donkey right as you're about to give birth? How many of you think maybe she was cussing Joseph a whole way to, to Bethlehem? Oh, man, can you imagine that? And what's amazing here is, you know that there are two forces at work. There's Satan and there's God. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. We are not dualists. We don't believe that there are two equal powers at work in the world. Amen? There's Satan and there's God. Satan is very powerful, but there's there's, there's not even a possible way to make a comparison between God's power and Satan's power. And yet, this this Roman governor, who was the governor of Syria, 
What they had done, what he's trying to do is he's gathering the people together, and we'll look at it more next week, but this is such an amazing picture of Antichrist and what's going to be happening. So what we have is Satan trying to kill the Messiah. Now, we're not going to go through the battle of the seeds that began all the way back in Genesis 3.15. But if you remember what that says, he says, "...up an enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed." That is, that is God talking to Satan, and there's going to be a war. Enmity means war. There's going to be a war between Satan and the seed of woman. And, of course, women don't have seed. That's the prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And so Satan began from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 all the way through history trying to destroy the Jewish people to stop Jesus Christ from being born. And this is his chance to kill the baby in the womb. But God preserved Mary and God preserved that baby on that hundred mile ride. So you have two forces at work. God wanted the baby to be born in Bethlehem. Satan wanted the baby to die. Who won? God did. God did. Let's keep reading in our text. Look at verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And of course, there are so many comments that could be made right there. But I do want to say this, this prophecy of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem when he was born, the the specific day being prophesied of when he would enter in to Jerusalem with his triumphal entry. So then we could know the exact day that he would be crucified. We would know the exact day that he was going to rise from the dead. We knew what they would do to him. We knew what they would say while they were doing it. We knew what Jesus would say while he was on the cross. We knew what they would do with his body after he rose from the dead. All of that prophesied a thousand years before Jesus Christ came. Think about this. Here, some of these prophecies, Micah 5, 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel." whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That prophecy took place 750 years before Jesus Christ was born. The Quran can't make prophecies like that. The Book of Mormon can't make prophecies like that. Only the Bible can. One commentator said it this way, that would be like me saying that in the year 2762, a man named Ted Butler will be born in Boise, Idaho. He will live to be 55 and a half years old and will be killed in downtown Chicago at Mulberry and 6th Streets at at 4.30 p.m. while crossing the street. His funeral will be at Memorial Gardens on the east side of Chicago and 50 people will be in attendance. What would the odds of that coming to pass be? You understand that's exactly what God did with Jesus Christ. That is exactly what he did. Well, in the case of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament makes 48 detailed prophecies on his first coming. A mathematician named Peter Stoner, that would probably mean something else now, but Peter Stoner calculated the odds of all these prophecies being fulfilled. He came up with a statistic that for one man to fulfill all 48 prophecies, that would be one out of 10 to the 157th power. Now, I can't do math, so I don't know what that means, but what this says is that's 1 in 10 with 157 zeros after it. What what does that number mean? There are not that many electrons 
in three universes the size of ours. Moreover, if the chances of a thing taking place are 1 out of 10 to the 50th power, that's 10 with 50 zeros after it, that thing will never take place. Einstein and Hawking couldn't pull off what Jesus Christ did at his first coming. That's amazing. We talk about how, how do you demonstrate that the Bible is true? And we use that MAPS acronym, Manuscript Evidence, Archaeological Discoveries, Prophecies Fulfilled, and Statistical Probability. Those things, they just demonstrate that the Bible is absolutely God's Word. But there's something in this prophecy that is so, or in this account, that is a prophecy of what's going to happen. So verse 7 and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Swaddling clothes. To swaddle something is to wrap it tight. Wrap it up tight like you would a bandage. And ladies, let me give you a little mothering tip that my wife would give you. When you have your newborn baby, they're used to being tight inside mommy's womb. Wrap that baby up tight in the blanket and they'll sleep like that. What happens when you don't? They startle. Like Wade when he wakes up during one of my sermons. Just, just like this. So she swaddled the baby. But what's interesting is, listen to what Acts 5, 6 says. And, and, and swaddling then was to take strips of cloth and wrap the baby up like a mummy. Listen to what they would do in that day. So if you remember Acts 5, 6, you have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and they take them out and they bury them. But listen to what it says. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. How about Jesus Christ? Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. What did the three wise men what did the wise men bring to Jesus Christ? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for his deity, frankincense to, for his uh, uh, priesthood, and myrrh for his death. When they came and wrapped Jesus' body here, they used myrrh. So all of this that happened at Jesus it, it, at his birth, it's the prophecy of his death. Jesus Christ came to die. That's why he came. He, he was already in the world. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't begin when He was made flesh. He existed, as it says in Micah 5, 2, from of old, from everlasting. The only reason He came was to have that body that could be beatable and pierceable and whippable so that He could be nailed to that cross, so that He could die on the cross for us. So even in the account of His birth, the way that He was swaddled, it is a picture of his death. Look at what it says in verse 8. And there were in the same country abiding in the field, their shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. How does that work? Remember, anytime you have the term angel of the Lord in the Bible, it's Jesus. When you read the, the term angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that's Jesus. Every time, that's Jesus. Well, wait a minute. Jesus is in the manger, and the angel of the Lord comes. How does that work? Well, not only that, but the glory of the Lord shone round about them. 
What do you have? You have the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that little manger, in that little stable, whatever they were in. It's amazing that God came. And we see that same thing happening at the baptism of Jesus Christ, where the the Father speaks from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and Jesus himself is being baptized, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, all in this one place, and all of these at his birth. So we've talked about Jesus coming, the way he came, the prophecies that were fulfilled in his coming, and what a supernatural event that was. Can you imagine those shepherds going back? And it says they told all the people in Bethlehem what had happened. They went and told everybody what had happened. And can you imagine these shepherds come in we got this vision, this, this, all these angels, they appeared to us. And they said a baby was going to be born, and he's the Messiah. And we went, and we saw him. He was, we saw him. He was there. And their wives all said, have you been drinking again? All of this amazing account of how God became a man. And right in the middle of it, you have the frankincense. The myrrh. He is our priest. But how did he become our high priest? We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. How did he accomplish that? How did he become our high priest? By dying. But isn't it good? So we have the cross. Jesus isn't on that cross anymore. I've been to what they call the tomb of Jesus. I don't know if it's his tomb or not. But you know what I can tell you? That tomb's empty. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this is Christmas. We love exchanging gifts. We had our Christmas yesterday. It's so sad that that part's over. We had so much fun. Nothing better than Silas at the house at Christmas. Yep. (laughs) That's fantastic. You know what the greatest gift that you could receive at Christmas? And that's eternal life. So Lydia and Josh got me this fountain pen for Christmas. I love it. Just beautiful. But eventually, this will fade away. This will be gone. The Bible says that everything in the world will be rolled up like a scroll. Just going to go away. But eternal life doesn't go away. Isn't that right? Noah, come on up here. So let's say I want to make this a gift to you. Wouldn't that be a bummer because my daughter just gave it to me? Let's say I want to make a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. Now, in order to keep it, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. They always give it back. Notice I didn't bring Micah up because Micah is going to steal it. That's what I heard. Thank you. You can, you can sit down. Now, this is, a, this is a lovely gift. If somebody gave you this, this is a lovely gift. But imagine if that's eternal life. And I have the opportunity to give you eternal life as a gift. Well, you can't work for it. The reason he gave it back to me, the reason he gave the pen back to me was washing my car for 10 years. That's not much of a gift right? The gift of eternal life. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Obviously, you see it on Christmas cards, the greatest gift that was ever given was Jesus Christ. But the only way you can receive that gift, the Bible says in the book of 1 John, it's chapter 4 and verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you want to have eternal life, you have to have Jesus. If you want to be born again, if you want to receive that free gift of eternal life, it comes in just one way. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. What is repentance? It's it's acknowledging that you are a sinner and you do not deserve to be saved. None of us deserve to go to heaven. All of us deserve to spend eternity in a Christless hell paying for our sin. Because the Bible says, as I quoted a minute ago, the wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus came. But God commendeth. He showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says in the same passage, he died for the ungodly. That's us. That's us. You say, well, I'm trying to be good. My dad was a deacon. My, 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 My mom was a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't have anything to do with whether you get to go to heaven or not. Nothing to do with whether you get to go to heaven or not. You must be born again. How are you born again? Just receive Christ as a gift. Receive eternal life as a gift. But it's, you, you can't only get eternal life. You have to receive the Son. And you can't receive the Son without repentance. That's acknowledging that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. You're not okay. You're not okay. If you're not born again, you are a sinner on your way to a Christless hell. You say, man, that's a weird Christmas message. That's what it's about. Because that's who we are, all of us, that's why Jesus came. Aren't you glad he came? Amen. Let's all stand together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior, that today will be the day of their salvation.